0: Come on. everyone, and welcome back to this free episode it's of The, the team. Free One! Not ah. avoiding it
1: again. We're back in 2022, and it is
0: The Free One. You know, there were a few where I managed to bulldoze into introducing the guests before you were able to do
1: that. You were just like, it's the episode you don't pay for. Uh, it's that one.
0: Yeah, it's that <laughs> the one. The
1: non-charged Look, one.
0: Look, um, before I, I introduce our, our wonderful guests, I just want to say, uh, happy sixth of January! Congratulations oh, yeah. to everyone involved on both sides. Mm. Uh, I think That's why we both- got this nice lectern yeah. that we have in the studio. <laughs> you, you all did a great job uh, again on both sides, and I think uh, everyone who perished that day should get a state funeral. Everybody on either side should get a state
1: funeral. But yeah, they should That's dig them up. My and opinion, do a state funeral now. Yes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But. Uh, here, of course, uh, helping us celebrate in the usual style, which is of course to talk about the theory of the high tech economy. Uh, look, it's been how it's how America's celebrated January sixth for ages. Uh, it is, of course, uh, this machine kills us. Uh, Jathan Sidowski and Adam Gueso Jr. Guys, how's it going? Hello. <laughs>
2: It's, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I am American, but I live in Australia, so I'm the only one in my neighborhood celebrating January 6th. I'm setting off fireworks, <laughs> 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 roasting a turkey. Yeah,
3: yeah. Uh,
1: I, I, we're, we're, I'm wearing. Crikey, my- mates! I may have moved to this country, but I'm not Australian. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hope everyone I rack off what? my January 6th situation. <laughs>
0: I'm wearing my traditional uh, January 6th cargo pants in
4: lay. Oh, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, mm. it's, I mean, look. Yeah, Riley's a- dressed in all under armor in honor of
5: the occasion. Yeah,
4: I, like, I smashed a few like, cans of Monster on my way here. Uh, oh,
5: yeah. I punched a cop, you know. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's just a
5: Saturday for me.
2: <laughs> in Australia, you're allowed to do that.
5: That's right. It's jealous. encouraged.
2: Mm. Australia
0: yeah. has a, it has like a Pink Panther rule where it's to keep them sharp. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's the cop's um, job
1: to not allow themselves <laughs> to be punched.
0: Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, it's 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 welcome. Welcome to you both, uh, and welcome to you, the listener. Um. So we've got a lot, a lot on today. Uh, it's Riley Hussein and Milo from the TF side, um, and you know, there's just a lot of stuff that's been going on in the technology industry. Have you guys heard that the web is finally upgrading to three
1: Pretty
5: exciting. Oh, yeah. I'm excited mm. for that.
4: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, one web for each gender. Keep up with USB. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, the
0: main thing about it is that it's uh, meaningfully different and not just, uh, as you have said to me in DMs, Jathan, uh, the same old sour wine of neoliberalism in new cryptocurrency-shaped
5: bottles. Totally not that. I'm kind of disappointed Jathan doesn't share my enthusiasm for what promises to be the transformation
1: um, web 3.0 yeah. promises. Number 1, stacks on deck. Number right. 2, patron on ice. <laughs> number 3, gas up the jet for you tonight baby, you can have whatever you like.
2: Yeah. What? This this is that's the real TI's
1: hit song, whatever you like. Oh, okay. Um,
2: yeah, no, this is the real schism that's going to tear apart this machine kills yeah. uh, is is, you know, my downer attitude towards web 3.0. Oh, mm. and uh, Ed's you know, rightfully booster attitude towards Web3. Mm. I'm
5: going to build a mansion in the metaverse mm. uh, on on crypto island and charge everybody tethered mm. to get in and get rich. It's mm. gonna, and then oh, fund nice. the left. That's how I'm going to say the left.
2: I hate of knowing course. what any mm. of that means, let alone knowing what all <laughs> <right>. of that <laughs> <yeah>. means. <laughs> <laughs>
5: uh,
0: well, if you want to know what all of that means, or at least most of it, then keep listening. But, Would you like to suffer? Would you like to join <laughs> us in hell?
3: Keep listening. Uh,
0: but um, I wanted to talk a little bit about... I have like a five-minute uh, British politics thing I wanted to talk about first, just because... Okay, so for context, everyone, especially our sort of uh, Australian and American uh, sort of friends and, and co-workers, um, if you, uh, there's been this set of regional pilots going on in the uk a country that has a very 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 regressive uh and punitive drugs policy uh to effectively not even decriminalize just stop to stop prosecuting uh young people especially young black people but it's not, that's not said but that's sort of what the implication is for carrying small amounts of cannabis which like Huge, a huge percentage of the population are prosecuted for doing, and most of them just railroaded uh, into
1: the criminal justice system. No, the trouble is there's all these kids in London what are shooting up <laughs> cannabis and getting on um, smacked up and then they're addicted and then they go around killing people. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> just to get that next hit of Indica. That's right. Yeah. So, a, a, a
0: weed connoisseur who's so into weed he's willing to kill yeah. for like the perfect strain. That's right. Just, I call it <laughs> in the couch.
2: <laughs> what's up? <laughs> that's right. Hey, Jonesing for that hit of Dutch cheese.
0: <laughs> so basically right, that's that's what's happened. And, um, Sadiq Khan, in a the uh, sort of labor sensible mayor of London, in a rare, I think quite like uh, quite correct uh, and humane uh, move, uh, has said, uh, "We're going to imitate this policy. We're going to take this policy that's been trialed elsewhere, and we're going to trial it locally in a couple of London boroughs where we're just going to say we're going to say to the police, you're now directed to stop prosecuting in these conditions, like stop bringing charges." And immediately, Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer were both saying no. Keir Starmer first, crucially. Keir Starmer, before (laughs) anyone else, leapt out to say, we do not believe in changing the uh, British drug laws. We think they are fit for purpose. We think drugs lead to violence and all this at at the response of someone in his party doing something, a a very, very small pilot program. Extremely
1: watered down. For...
0: A policy which decriminal, like, it leads towards a policy that's
1: like decriminalizing cannabis that's popular with a majority of the electorate. And also is the only policy that fucking works, yeah. you idiot. Uh, but What I loved about this, though, is it led to something I would like to call the political saturnalia, where the, the slaves were emperors and the emperors were slaves, because on this one magical day of the year, the prime minister welcomed what Keir Starmer had said <laughs> an inversion. The tables were turned. And I encouraged him to go <laughs> further. <laughs> I, would, I would call on him to go further.
0: <laughs> you so, know, <laughs> that's the thing, right? He says it increases power of criminal gangs,
1: and drugs are associated with crime. Making drugs illegal increases the power of criminal gangs. Next question, you fucking idiot! That's obvious. You could teach a child this. Yeah. If you make something illegal, it puts it in the hands of criminals. This is <laughs> this is almost like fucking like first
4: principles shit. See, I think I kind of agree with him in the sense that like. Um, if you kind of legalize, I know this isn't legalization. Like this is just kind of like a facetious thing. Yeah. But you know, mm. I've you know anyone who's been to Vancouver sort of knows what weed culture is like. It's filled with like fucking nerds. Um, and, may, and he's just protecting the integrity of weed I'll culture. Keep it cool. That's yeah. your argument. <laughs> yeah, in in Britain we smoke weed that smells of piss and looks like shit, and it should stay that Sadie way.
1: Khan wants to gentrify weed. That's
4: right. Exactly. I don't want any of this like fucking indica Kush shit. I want I want the weed, that I get from a chicken box in like a weird KFC in Camden. that um, it tastes taste of grease, and it's fine.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but like, look, it's, this is this is it, it. It goes to show, right? A couple of days ago, he made his first speech of the year, where he said, "I don't think politics is a branch of the entertainment industry. I think it's the serious business." industry. you in when you did, done. mate.
1: <laughs> that's right okay, no. but in, Look, it, i don't want any of you getting too excited during my speech so what i've done is i've dressed up in a big gray sack now
0: but right but if i think that if you want to take seriously this and the other thing right is basically i think drug decriminalization is the most you could possibly expect at this point from a kind of center-left party mm, yeah. if only because it's politically very popular it's basically got no cost. It gives you like it. It it is kind of and it's been done other way and other places by other like center left political organizations. It's no risk. And it's the thing they can do that would just take the boot a little bit off the people on whom the boot is pressing down on some of the hardest that where they can affect the hardness of the
1: boot it's one of these rare policies where it actually saves money it solves a lot of the problems and it harms no one yes there's there's no there is no constituency other than people who are annoyed by in an imaginary way in their own head there's no person it actually affects negatively at all and and the only thing i want to
0: add before getting into what we're here to actually talk about right is that this i think this goes to show especially right we we talk about the british media being an extension of the state and what is and, and the fact that like these policies that are popular and easy and proven elsewhere are politically impossible here it's because the british media has performed a kind of cup and ball trick a kind of three card bonte, where what happens is the sensible majoritarian view is switched out for a basically hard, a, a very hard punitive view and i think this links into the fact that the state's mission for the last 40 years has been to sort of wind itself out of existence. To say, look, the business of social reproduction in terms of carrots is no longer happening. We're not doing social housing. We're not doing the NHS because capital can just get workers elsewhere. It Doesn't need to preserve these workers really. Um, and so, what and what it needs for social reproduction is uh, the police and the army is the sticks. It needs the punitive uh, organs. Uh, that is. Uh, that's a the solving capital's collective action problem, which is what the state exists to do. How else would we and know? So, it's four
1: a.m. British time.
0: And so, what has happened essentially is that the British media has, again, working as an organ of the state, which is again this thing for capital, has essentially made it so that the only viable way forward uh, is to relo- to love the police and BAE systems. It is saying the only things you can do is use and valorize the state as. Uh, as, as the instrument of uh, discipline and punishment because the the, the state as the you know, giver of uh, carrots as opposed to sticks is now gone. And I think you can really see it in this drugs policy, which is, no, it doesn't matter. Discipline must be increased. And this is a majoritarian. This is the only sensible opinion to have in a democracy, even though it's wildly unpopular. And I think this is just a perfect case study uh, of that phenomenon.
2: Yeah. I mean, well, I, I want to jump in real quick and say that Starmer... It, Starmer doesn't realize he's lying because he's playing a part when he says that politics is you know, not a branch of the entertainment industry. It, I mean, that's all it is, is it's pure theater, right? He is an actor on stage playing a part, as are other politicians. And when they claim it's about the serious business of getting things done, I mean, their actions speak to the contrary every single fucking time. They don't get anything done. Um, it, it, and I mean, but that's kind of the point, right? I, I think you're exactly right here, Riley, that this is the state winding itself out of existence, but doing so in this like way that policies and positions that are already in place remain ossified, right? They become fossilized, Mm -hmm. so they don't go away. The state just stops doing stuff and what already exists just continues um, forever. And then people like Starmer are there to be the ringleaders of this circus, kind of distracting you, dancing on stage, saying foolish things, gaffing to keep you entertained while nothing else actually happens. It's kind of the whole Mm -hmm. point.
1: Yeah. Well, the difference between someone like, you know, Keir Starmer and Donald Trump is that they're both equally theatrical. It's just that Donald Trump's in, like, a fun play, you know, like a comedy with lots of pratfalls, and then, like, Keir Starmer's in, like, an Ibsen play at the National Theatre. Like, he's playing it dead straight. They're both actors. It's just Donald Trump actually has some entertainment value. I feel
4: like in the case of the Labour Party, it's also this kind of perennial problem that they have themselves created, where it's very much like they're kind of fixated on these imaginary voters that we've, like, discussed on the show before like these kind of voters that only exist inside their head and are like constantly mad at them. Um, and one of those things was obviously just like, you know, respecting the police, right. Or, you know, the idea of like in you know, these mythical voters, they really love the police, even though I'm not convinced any British person actually likes the police. They like the no. idea they like the idea of it, like some of them. They like, I think like people in the suburbs like the kind of idea of like a policeman keeping out like, you know, weed smoking teenagers uh off their like, you know, front lawns and stuff. But like they don't really exist in practice. But because like again, labor is so sort of stimmied by like focus groups and focus groups of focus groups, um, they've kind of got it in their head that like even this very obvious and sensible policy that like they had been advocating like the labor Labour Party has sort of like been kind of advocating it for a while. Um, Like now suddenly it sort of becomes untenable. And I think a lot of that comes down to this, like just fear that they have that like any kind of policy they propose is going to be hated by these mythical voices who, by the way, like just hate everything that they do. Like the way that it's set up is like, we can't propose anything. Because will like alienate these sort of like you know be, these kind of fictive working classes, and it just so happens to be married into this kind of much broader political consensus of like the state can't do anything, and you shouldn't expect it to do anything.
2: It does remind me if we jump across the pond, you know, New York Senator Chuck Schumer, who is the, the Senate Majority Leader, Great guy friend of the show, <laughs> but he has talked explicitly about this imaginary family. He's written a book about them called The Baileys, and it's like that's who he. Uh, does policy for is literally this family that exists only in his head who he imagines as his ideal constituent free. uh and and it, it but it like that's just an absurdist version of it I think you know Hussein you're exactly right here that starmer that all of these politicians are doing is they have an imaginary constituent um in their head who doesn't actually exist and that's who they're doing policy for um and and you know I think there's a trans I, i'll I'll do a, a a segue here for you, Riley. But I think there's a nice segue here from the the kind of politics of entertainment or politics as entertainment to technology as entertainment as well. Where this is truly both in pol- in the realms of politics and technology, it's all fucking pure marketing. It's all pure spectacle. Nothing gets done, right? Whether you call it innovation or you call it policy, nothing is actually getting done except for. Uh, hucksters and grifters um selling you something right, marketing you something, uh dancing on stage and convincing you that it 's progress like that 's all it is in both spheres, technology or politics. you know
5: your island baffles me sometimes, but I think it shares the same uh the same core tenet that the United States does about a belief that punishment uh is fundamentally good. Um, on some level, or that you know, some of the specifically some of the Tories and you know other politicians may believe, or are unified in a belief that punishing people or being punitive on people is good and 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 helps turn them into good characters. In addition to other um, uh, lovely ideas they might have about skull measurements and sizes, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, I, so, also part of me is not surprised because it, it mirrors a lot of the debates also that happen here over drug legalization. um, I mean, even the fact that like drug legalization in of itself isn't something you can even really discuss the barriers decriminalization because of all uh, because of the nice interplay of like you know lingering still lingering phrenology and also commitment to punitive measures that lingers here and is also present there. so I don't know it feels it feels like hearing a more um more uh polite <laughs> articulation of some of the some of the arguments here, um yeah.
1: That that is actually something that's quite fascinating that, like, America is actually in general further down the road towards drug decriminalization than we are in the UK. Because in general, America is both, like, a moderately more reactionary and also more of an ice-chewing Protestant-ass country than Britain is. Like, it's weird because in Britain, like, drugs are almost, like, effectively decriminalized for a lot of people. Like, it's weird that, like, it's not saying they often choose to prosecute unless it's a black teenager with a bit of weed. Um, But at the same time, the idea of actually decriminalizing it is like completely politically unthinkable. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, couldn't possibly do that. However, I want to talk about startups. Uh, So the startup. And by the way, just I'll tell you now, uh, the answer is not this group of uh, people here around this table. Uh, The startup is called Brain Trust.
5: (laughs) Okay, uh, Ed, what do you think Brain Trust is? You know, if I had to guess what brain trust is, I would think that it's like a mm. consulting group for foreign policy. Like if I, you know, just off the name consulting group for foreign policy or yeah. uh, a nice uh, smokers club for VCs, you know, Those, that's what, Ooh. that's the power Ooh. that the, the name nice. gives.
1: Got little velour
0: jackets like a, on. Like right. a paneled wall, a velour yeah. jacket where it displays your ape. Oh yeah, that would yeah. be nice. The now, ape jacket. Jason, you know what it is, because we've talked about it extensively, because I was trying to figure it out. So I'm gonna skip you, Hussein, brain trust. What do you think? Okay.
4: What if, what if you could put your brain on the blockchain? It is to do with the blockchain. <laughs> oh, of course it is. I mean kind of like, oh, yeah. yeah, kind of a give. I mean kind of a giving, because I know it has to like segue into like this episode. Right. So what if you could put your brain onto the blockchain um and also turn it into some kind of asset? Um like a, I like, hate to tell like you this, Am I right? Am I correct?
0: I mean, I mean, here's the thing. I know what you mean, which is like personality uploading, but if, I was, if you were to interpret what
1: you said broadly, you would
0: kind of be in the right ballpark. I, is it
1: like holding yourself accountable for your Duolingo scores using <laughs> blockchain? That, that would be fun uh, and more useful than what it does. What if you no. could
4: decentralize your brain? Uh, but I, I
1: would love to do that. one an NFT of the Joe Lingo owl. Yeah, that's, <laughs> smoking weed and making the pussy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Shutter mm. uh, It's four million dollars. Mm. Uh, Eminem bought it. Oh no. fuck! It already exists. We've said it out okay, loud. So one already one last
4: thing. What if your brain yeah. was a kind of DAO structure where it's other a p- where other people could decide what you were thinking?
1: <laughs> okay. So
0: it is. Brain trust is a DAO. So right, it's a okay, distributed right. autonomous organization so again he's saying you keep being right by accident a little bit yeah a
4: little bit no. a little <laughs> bit I, we I, exist. I feel the idea of like getting other people to think like to think for you is a very sort of like thinking free idea um, <laughs> no one makes me think what well, they, <laughs> they
0: they'd have to they'd ha- if it was to be a web 3 idea they would have to think for you but they wouldn't know what they were thinking. They would just be sort of applying computational power in their brain. That's pretty much how those guys operate. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) No, So uh, we exist to spread economic opportunity more equitably around the world. Now, any organization that says Uh it exists to spread economic opportunity more equitably around the world, what you can really interpret from that is wage arbitrage.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's like remote slavery, right? They've got like a warehouse full of people in the Philippines who are like doing a job that's in like Manhattan or something.
0: Uh yeah, that's pretty. that's closer to, right, what, okay. to what to what it really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, anyone want to sort of drive the final uh, nail through the coffin?
5: Okay, there, um, there's a token.:
0: Yes, there's a token.: name There's
5: always a token. But the token, the name has to be like brain something stupid, like braincoin. Uh, It's stupider than that. Oh, no. Dumb coin. Dumb dumb coin? Is that... (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oh, no. She got that dumb coin. Smart coin. (laughs) IQ coin. Uh, no, it's a uh, the coin is Phrenology Brain coin. Trust, but with
1: no vowels. Oh it's like God. a throwback to 2011. Oh, nice! Actually, <laughs> yeah. b- Brain Coin would have been very fun, but instead of the, or the IQ Coin, but instead of the C, it's the Q of IQ, so it's like I Coin. <laughs> yeah, exactly, would <laughs> be nice. Look, you should work for Brain Trust uh, yeah. because it's better than what they're doing. No,
0: so mm. Brain Trust mission is to build the world's most impactful talent network. One that is user-owned, aligns incentives, and redistributes value to both talent, meaning freelancers and organizations, mm. meaning uh, Apple and Deloitte mm. and so on.
1: Those guys need some power redistributed to them, I That's think right Well, here's the thing, right? Oh, because there's not another thing. Well I'm sorry, oh. always I'm afraid there,
0: there is yeah. indeed another thing so. Brain Trust is a blockchain. So it's a, it's, it's a DAO based on a blockchain that's mm-hmm. governed by smart contracts. So just like an NFT is on a website like OpenSea, right. uh, but the engine of who owns it or owns the NFT is a smart contract. So right. you, as a freelancer, mm-hmm. you have a profile with Braintrust, uh, but there is no organization called brain Trust. You're just linked to this distributed autonomous organization. You just trust the brain. Yeah. And then uh, if you want to hire freelancers, you do the same thing. You can connect to mm-hmm. it, but there's no central organization. There's no one who owns it really. Now, of course, we five here all know that's a sleight of hand, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. But that's, that's sort of that's the basics. It is a talent, it's, it's like um, monster.com or jobs.com or Indeed or whatever, right? It's a job board. Monster.com, where you go to look for monsters. Uh, Monsters of JavaScript,
1: yes. Yeah, Geralt of Rivia logging on to (laughs) monster.com.
0: Just learning how to code. Ironically, to look for a job, but in a
1: different sense. And so when they talk about redistributing
0: value to talents and organizations, they're like, well, hey, check it out. The big platforms, they're like landlords, right? They're sitting on all of this information. And what we're going to do is unite the interests of capital and labor by kicking
2: out the landlords. They're Georgists. Oh, yes. <laughs> they're Georgists. It always comes back down to Georgism. Always. Why why is there never a Maoist startup, right? Why do I they know, always yeah, have to be fucking right?
5: Georgist? I'm just imagining like a room full of people where the dude's like, so they're landlords, right? And everyone's like, Yeah, they're fucking landlords, and we hate landlords, right? Yeah, so okay, we're gonna we're gonna kick them out and be the new landlords.
3: And just
1: booing. A Maoist startup called Furnace with no vowels. <laughs> Yeah, it's a decentralized iron smelting organization where they put a pig iron furnace in everyone's backyard. Yeah,
0: so but that, so we're, well, I think we're, we're pretty comfortable like what this thing does, right? It's a, it's a jobs board on the blockchain, uh, on, on a blockchain. It runs on a version of Ethereum, but not Ethereum itself, obviously, because that would be too expensive. Um, and it's all for like high value jobs. Like if you're a, like a front end engineer and you want to work for three months for $150,000, this is where you post that job. Here is their mission. The way we work is broken. In fact, it's been broken for a long time now. We'd hoped the gig economy would usher in a new era of autonomy and abundance. Oh, I see. That's stupid. <laughs> what's okay, up? Okay, yeah, right. what's up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell uh, me you're stupid without saying you're stupid. I really thought that, you know, piecework, if you put it on a phone, would have a different result. I thought yeah. if you add the phone <laughs> to the piecework, then... That makes you rich, as opposed to every other time anyone else has done piecework, which makes them poorer.
1: What's amazing is that, like, a half of these companies, it feels like they're reverse engineering a Black Mirror episode. Like, they've seen it, and they're like, yeah, what if that mm. was your fun? <laughs> Actually, maybe um, that could be a good startup." But, they said, the
0: economics didn't pan out. They fucking did. <laughs> they absolutely did for the people
2: that designed them. <laughs> I we uh, democratized access to servants, and I cannot understand why people are angry about this.
0: <laughs> a few wealthy people. Uh, the white paper goes on because, by the way, these companies now don't have uh, websites anymore; they have white papers they fucking because love they're not companies. White papers, yeah, or they have tokenomics documents. Right? They're not because they're not companies; they're nonprofit organizations that own the branding of a blockchain that "quote unquote" no one owns. Again, we'll get into how that's. A falsehood um a few wealthy people became even wealthier and the average worker is still scrambling to make a living crazy Uh, you know what a a deepening and intensifying of the employer employee relate. yeah because it's not like indeed or like uber like that's not like it's it's not that expression of that (laughs) individual company it's the relationship they're like what if we change the way the relationship came to be um The traditional work-until-you-retire contract between employer and employee is being disrupted by short-term, rapidly changing engagements. Work history is moving from subjective records
1: to immutable ones with ratings and verifiable expertise. Awesome. Yeah, record my toilet break on the blockchain. Please do it. I want my future employers to know. I want it to be written in like fucking tombstone so that like future (laughs) generations will know about when I took a shit on company time.
2: Also, the the idea that moving from subjective records to immutable ones, the implication being that the immutable records on the blockchain are objective, not subjective. But motherfucker, where did that (laughs) record come from? Did it come from you? The same way as the other one did. Like it's the same record. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like um.
0: I think the the imaginary behind why these di- te- these things are disruptive or genuinely transformative is that is that someone say, well, the problem is is that if you work at you know Acme Incorporated, that HR, someone malicious person could go and change your record. We're gonna stop that scourge of that thing happening. As opposed to the fact that they can record whatever they want anyway, um, and in this case, right, like even if there's no central organization called Brain Trust recording it, they still they still control. What information gets pulled in, they still code what information gets like gets displayed. And yeah, you can vote on that kind of thing with governance tokens, which we'll get to in a second, but boy is that broken for other reasons that we'll also talk
2: it, about. It reminds me when um, I was growing up in like elementary school, like they would threaten us as kids to be like, you know, this is going on your permanent record right like like you're late for class that's going on your permanent record right the implication being really does this all the time <laughs> the <laughs> be late for podcast <laughs> the implication being that one there is a permanent record that exists and follows you through life and two that like future opportunities uh when you're an adult will depend on you know your elementary school permanent record and 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 like you know milo was saying you know they hear a bad idea or a bad thing and they're like oh that good let's do it let's actually do it like that's what they're trying to do here they're trying to make the permanent record into reality
5: it's amazing (laughs) how libertarians are always just like okay we hate the state we hate taxes we hate being forced and coerced to have our money extracted at every venture so what if we reorganize society so that all of that is just how we all live every single day. And there's no office where you have to check in and do that, right? What yep. if everyone watched everybody and stole money from everybody all day, every day? Well, that that be it's great? Okay yeah.
2: Because it's a corporation, not a state. Like we read that right. book uh, by David Friedman, Milton <laughs> Friedman's
5: son. Who <laughs> said we, the we're machine. not real Luddites, don't know what Leninism is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah we um, on TMK, we read this book called Machinery of Freedom, which is a, a, a like a, a, oh, hand, no. a field guide or a hand manual for anarcho capitalism by Milton Friedman's son, David Friedman. Oh, and Jesus. it really is just like creating the state, but calling it corporations and saying this is okay, actually. But in this case, it's not even corporations, it's a
0: nonprofit foundation, and then everything is in the code which is different somehow because (laughs)
1: institutions are bad and code is not
0: an institution. What if it was
1: a computer? That would be good. Stuff like this makes me think a lot about uh, a thing that Stuart Lee once said in a different context where he described social media as like a Stasi staffed by gullible volunteers. (laughs) And like so much libertarian shit is basically that. Further context.
0: So they say in the white paper, workers are increasingly abandoning the extractionary model of platforms Meaning that I post a job on like Fiverr or whatever, someone else buys that job from me, so they they purchase my labor, and then the platform takes a huge commission by benefiting from the network effects that it has of having all those people signed up to it. But essentially, it's not a tax. <laughs> essentially being a did well. It's, no, it's a rent. Yeah, it's a. It is essentially being a digital landlord, right? And they're saying, what if we, what if we eliminated those rents by having a uh, by putting this on the blockchain? Which again, sort of makes it like makes sense on its own terms, but the idea that this is going to abandon the extractionary model of like of, of labor is is ludicrous. he says, but also listen to this, in the wake of a global pandemic that demonstrated that remote work is possible on a mass scale and that and essentially that workers have much more power, workers are unwinding out of traditional employment arrangements uh, and become their own nodes in sprawling freelance networks, a global phenomenon described as the great resignation and what what this really is is like this is the libertarian answer to increased worker power. It's don't unionize, freelance more efficiently using the blockchain. Effectively, this is the, this is the libertarian answer to the Great Resignation. Do not unionize, use the blockchain.
5: The two greatest prisons in capitalism are your mind and a union. And the sooner you realize it, the sooner that you break out, Neo... Yeah,
1: don't join a mind union, join a brain trust. That's right.
5: (laughs) The work
0: revolution coincides with a social revolution, spurred by heightened Mm -hmm. awareness of broader, broader social inequalities. Modern talent networks have long extracted disproportionate value from workers, building their enterprise value by levying high fees on their users. They also refer to the income gap between workers and owners, which they say this will fix. In short, the rich have gotten richer while workers have remained marginalized, the implication being... Our blockchain will fix that by basically correcting an information imbalance. Cool. Um, so we want I, I mentioned earlier about the about the token. There's the trust token. Mm. So there is uh, in order because this thing needs to like govern itself, right? Because this thing need you need this thing needs some people steering it. What happens is the users of Brain Trust have Brain Trust tokens, which you can buy. Uh, and then the more tokens you have, the more votes you get on governance. And in, in, a dis, in a DAO, how governance works is there is a, a, it's built into the smart contract that the tokens recognize that you can vote on changes and then the changes are kind of automatically executed. No one needs to go and execute them. Um, and so this, that's how it is essentially governed. And you can use brain trust or brain trust tokens for lots of different things. Uh, you can enhance your job postings with them. Or you can enhance your proposals. You can level up your skills, quote unquote, by using brain trust tokens to like put little experiences on your immutable permanent record. Uh, And also then you can govern the way that the blockchain works. So bribes. Yes. And then here's the interesting thing. Do you know? and, And again, don't forget, this is not a company. There is no company here. There's nothing called a corporation. There's no startup. There's a nonprofit foundation. That has all the branding, and then the blockchain, which has the, t- the governance tokens. Isn't it weird that Tiger Global, COA2 Investments, and OMADR Technology have spent a hundred million dollars <laughs> buying these tokens for this nonprofit, user-owned foundation that's a cooperative on a blockchain huh, that will never make any money? is that
2: brain trust, this nonprofit, isn't? Aren't they valued at like four billion dollars or something like that? <laughs> weird.
0: <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't I don't know what the market capitalization of their token is offhand. Like that's how it would
2: be valued yeah, is the market I cap. Think the, of the market token. cap is over yeah. four billion from what I've seen.
5: Uh, wow. This is why not? crazy. What the fuck? <laughs> no, guys, this is tol- this is not like you said, it's totally not a corporation. This is backed by three of the most like bloodthirsty, ruthless venture capital funds or capitalist networks you can imagine. Nothing has says nothing about what we're doing here.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean I mean, this organization that like Tiger Global, one of these organizations where if they put $100 million into an investment, they do that because they want to get back $10 billion, right? Mm-hmm. Those people, they didn't do that this time. They just bought all these tokens for funsies <laughs> yeah. because they, they, were, they loved the white paper.
1: Well right. they love democracy, right. that's why <laughs> they just wanted to vote a lot because they love the <laughs> governance system of ancient athens right. they're big on that over yeah. at tiger global riley
2: thinks that people are incapable of learning and growing all right <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's, it's sort That's of right. yeah it's, it's sort of it's sort of incredible how like it's it, again it's like one of the classic situations where like they've sort of diagnosed the problem correctly i.e about like okay you have this kind of unstable labor market and like you know uh you have like this abundance of freelancers and lots of these freelancers are kind of like fighting for minimal amounts of work and everything and this is a problem this is a structural economic problem and like yeah even kind of you know you can make the argument to kind of say that okay well um more empowerment for the these types of precarious like forces of labor are probably a good thing but then the kind of solution to that is this sort of like weird tokenized system um which can very very easily be exploited and is designed to be exploited um because they can't kind of reach the the logical conclusion that most people have which is that maybe getting more money might be a good thing and like People think that is a better source of empowerment. But anyway, I don't know. What do I know? So how,
0: how, they, how they bring that in uh, is they say, look, a normal job board will charge you like a percentage of what you take as fees for being on. And again, like the Georgist criticism of landlords isn't wrong. It's just it's wrong that it stops there. <laughs> um, and like, yeah, they're right that the platforms are incredibly exploitative and, and, and sort of rentieristic, But then... Because what they do is they've centralized all the information, and then they use the fact they've monopolized access to that information and the ability of people to communicate using it. They then just like charge rents on people using it, and they're saying, "Well, let's kick out the landlords, let's kick out the platforms, let's charge like a ten percent fee to the clients only, so not the freelancers, uh, in order to like because the thing you do need to like pay to maintain and or even a, like a DAO, right? Like you have to." buy, you have to pay for like, you know, hash, you have to pay, pay for, for those apes. Yeah, you have to pay, but you do have to pay for things. It's, that's like unrealistic to think you don't. But what I've sort of, what I'm beginning to understand about these Web3 startups is that the, the goal is still the same, right? It's just that instead of buying shares in the company, you buy a huge number of the tokens and then hope that the tokens become very in demand. Um, because then, what Tiger Global can do? Let's say, let's say Brain Trust takes off, becomes really popular. It becomes a kind of "quote unquote" user-owned monopolist, right? Like, uh, and then all of a sudden, if you want to say, I don't know, post a job and then promote it so that your profile is more visible, all of a sudden that takes Brain Trust coin. And who holds all that Brain Trust coin? Why? Why? It's our good friends, Tiger Global. They hold all that brain... And suddenly, people are buying it. Their $100 million investment becomes very, very valuable. Because what they've essentially done is they have sat and they have made themselves rentiers on the same process. It's almost as though... Because they, they if they, 10 years ago, Tiger Global would have invested in a job board that said, we're a local social mobile job board that's connecting kick-ass developers with awesome organizations... Like a Web 2 one, right? Like one that was more of a central organization. They're just doing the same thing. They're just calling it something else, effectively. Um, and, and so this
1: is like... It's it, almost as though there's a theme developing on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. People doing something that has existed for a very long time, but calling it something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's almost as though a lot of those robots are just a guy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, I think one of the things that's... Like, when, Riley, when you and I were talking about brain trust and the DMs and like trying to... Like, do some analysis and be like, "What is going on here? Like, how are they making money? Like, how is this actually happening?" I think part of the difficulty of sussing out um, a lot of this, web, a lot of these Web three uh, things, is that it, it, there's equal parts. Uh, grifters and useful idiots. And it's really difficult sometimes to dis- to discern who is a grifter, right? Who is like knowingly doing something that has baked into it exploitation and extraction um, and like knows that they are d- running a grift. Versus, who is a useful idiot? Who is so blinded by the ideology and the propaganda and the buzzwords that they are also doing something that has exploitation and extraction baked into it, but they don't realize that's what they're doing. Uh, and and it 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 can be like in, actually really impossible sometimes to discern between those two uh, groups of people.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: I mean, one of the things we talked about about this, right, is that. It
0: does kind of uncover one of the places that those two people come together, which is that they all have the same Hayekian fantasy that the market is itself this big distributed computer that can assign quote-unquote fair value to everything. So they say, in the white paper, one of the key benefits of the Brain Trust Network is its ability to provide efficient price discovery for all services. In a decentralized network, users are able to track in real time the market value of assets, in this case, labor. Consider, uh, consider sort of, uh, uh, the digital asset exchanges like Uniswap, uh, where the supply and demand of listed digital assets are easily observed by the public. And so a fair market price is indisputably produced by price discovery activities on these networks. Again, never minding what we know about the pricing of digital assets just being the same two guys <laughs> selling the same picture of an ape spreading its butthole back and forth like 30 times for millions of dollars each, <laughs>
1: thereby setting the value. Right? It's it- called the economy, Riley. And I don't see why you're being so down on it. We've got a recession to get out of.
3: <laughs>
1: and here's the other
0: thing, right? You have to, I think the key question with understanding brain trust is, what does Tiger Global get out of it? Right? Either they get an investment where they hold a coin that suddenly becomes super necessary to get if you want a job anywhere. And then Tiger Global can say, it's 100 bucks if you want to post a job. Here you go. Have a fucking brain trust coin, you asshole. Or maybe what happens is there's a big hype cycle, and then Tiger Global, being the first investor, is basically bailed out of its investment. By a bunch of retail investors who hope that someone
1: else will bail them out of their investment, and so on forever, assume. I assume. So you're suggesting that at the top, there's this one investor, right? <laughs> and then below him, there's a slightly wider shelf of investors. Uh-huh, yes. And then below them, there's an even wider shelf of investors. And, and it, every shelf of investors relies on a wider shelf of investors below it. Now, hear me out <laughs> on this. If you were to take this on a whiteboard, and then you were to draw lines around it, gunshot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, well, I know you, you, I know you be, have right?
2: a classics education, and what you describe sounds a lot mm. like plato's republic <laughs> democracy yeah
1: that's right yeah it's democracy right.
2: that was what i was about to
0: say before i was rudely shot dead <laughs> um yeah so it's uh, it's look the thing is right you could say that about any tech ipo cuz they're facebook's never going to pay a fucking dividend or meta's never going to pay a fucking dividend right because these things are things you buy cuz you hope the value is going to go up and the value goes up when someone else pays more for it from you and like the problem is that is stupid and unsustainable. Like, <laughs> don't forget me wrong. All of it is stu- the whole thing, including stocks that pay dividends, stupid and unsustainable for reasons laid out by Marx. But this is sort of making it much faster and dumber. <laughs> And
1: uh, you don't have sort of you call that contradictions inherent to capitalism? I'll show you some contradictions, motherfucker. (laughs) I invented a new kind of money. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Oh, American can paying three cents a share. I invented my own money
1: and I sold it to someone else for different money. What about a four million dollar ape that destroys the Amazon rainforest? Are you hearing me, (laughs) (laughs) Marx? You're a child. You know nothing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. And so they, there's all sorts of other talk of like, oh, we're going to democratize this and that. But like if you're attracting the same VCs who want the same thing, what you've done is you have branded what's always happening as something that is somehow better. And you know awesome. what? I mean, the thing is, right, maybe like, yeah, it is good to have um, to have like a, a user owned talent network it's g- probably the best way to govern that realistically is probably a decentralized autonomous organization. However, to have the, the problem is, is that because it is fundamentally the same as everything else, they're going to have a highly financialized way of interacting with it. That's going to be bought by venture capital funds. And so it's no different.
1: Yep. <laughs>
5: cool. I think Great the, talk guys. You know, rem- Should we
1: wind this up? <laughs>
5: <laughs> no, it, it reminds me of um maybe a segue, but like, so I can't remember who said it, but they were like, uh, you know, is it any coincidence, you know, that the three, that the or is the reason why web three has a three in it because there are three major investment firms that are pushing it. Right. You have a 16 Z and then you have, I think tiger global. I don't remember the third one. Right. And you know, it's like, that's how it always you. is. It's with, uh, tiger global also has been invo- involved in, uh, one of my favorite investments that they've done is, uh, in, in like Spax or in like the pre Pershing mm-hmm. Square uh, models of uh, SPACs, SPACs. right? Seems <laughs> right? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, so quite now. They're back in Paul form. Oh, it's, sorry, it's
0: a normal company that's listed on the on the Grandpa Exchange. <laughs> boring.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, How is that a monkey?
5: I, I, what I love also there's like there they also saw an opportunity. That they're like, look, we're just helping companies who want to get public but can't possibly get public. Go public, but then if you just look at the model, what's really happening is they are just foisting a bag of unicorn shit onto every single investor who comes after them because they got in the door, and you get free stocks when you get in the door, and similarly here, yeah, you get free tokens. Most of these, most of these business models, most of these uh, DAO models, the way they're set up also is like you pour in a lot of money, and then you also are now in a position to just get free tokens for literally for no reason other than existing. Right, you get free tokens for staking them as like liquidity and really complex financial speculative instruments so even if they ate shit in their investment they'd be able to be involved in really complex financial tricks and scams to make up some of that money and get it back maybe do a liquidity exchange for some avax if you want right and then play with degenerate tokens on other exchanges that are unregulated you know they you know you could do anything with it you just have to put enough money or skin into the game and for them it's nothing
0: yeah, it's it's almost though you get you're big enough you just win by being there. Yeah, you just
5: th- literally yeah. just throw money or buy lottery tickets if you're like Masayoshi San, you know, you can do anything. Oh yeah,
1: that was a cool one. <laughs> I respected that. That was great. <laughs>
5: Softbank will be investing in the lottery, perfect. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. why
1: not? <laughs> Somebody's got to win. <laughs> yeah. Might be me.
0: <laughs> There's a lot more to talk about, about about DAOs in general and how they like have switched out a form of company script for doing actual labor as well, right? But I think that's for another time. I want to talk... Like, I want to pull back, right? Because we've... This group of us together, we've talked about... like when we, when we come together, we tend to talk about different big picture things in like the field of technology and trying to think of what... We've talked about the metaverse, for example. We tried to like, figure out what was making Netflix tick. And I think it's, I, what I want to do is pull back again to Web 3 in general. This thing that I think gets talked about a lot, but not well understood. Um, and I, I think it's, it's easy to think Web 3 is just pictures of apes. And you're sort of not entirely wrong, but also not entirely right. And yeah,
4: there's some lions as well
0: i remember those i wonder if they're still worth tons of money
1: yeah there's the lions there's the like silhouettes of women that one Uh, lady shapes with alan partridge yeah
0: (laughs) so what what i mean if i wanted to think about web 3 on its own terms i've sort of I've, i've got a sort of potted definition uh from the web 3 foundation but uh ed and jathan what do you if if you guys wanted to define web, I mean, Ed, you've given yours already, which is it's pushed by three VCs. <laughs> Jason, what do you think? What is what is Web three? How do you understand it?
2: Yeah, I mean, and I think this gets at a at a bigger point that you're also driving at here as well, Riley, which is that like I you know the these so called like paradigmatic. Uh, disruptions in the internet, right? Like like it's called Web3 because it's following or supposedly following directly from Web 2.0, which itself followed from the web or Web1, right? Like like it, it, it's it's setting up for itself this like phase model of history where... Uh, you know the internet develops. You know the internet, whatever that is, right? Develops in this like linear stage progression from one thing to the next to the next, and and each one is you know uh, not 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 even you know people don't even talk about as like building from each other, but again as disruptions, right? As par- as like a paradigmatic rupture uh, in what the internet means, and so like you know for I think. While I think that's a lot of bullshit, and we'll talk about that, and it's very av- a material and a historical way of understanding these technological and cultural systems. Uh, you know, the the way that Web three is often talked about by the the, the mavens uh in favor of it is you know they talk about like web one uh the analogy is a page right it's it's uh you know you log on and there's just a there's a web page and you read and and that's all and web 2 is the platform right and we all know what that is and web 3 is the network right so it's like you know it's meant to be de- you know replaces the democratization of web 2.0 with the decentralization of web 3 right where it's It's no longer about this like model of liberal democracy and participation that a lot of people talked about, you know, with the platforms of Web 2.0. It is a much more like libertarian uh, individualistic idea of, you know, no, 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 we are not coming together uh, to do some kind of what Tim O'Reilly, who we'll talk about, calls collective intelligence of Web 2.0. We are instead becoming the ultimate atomistic Ubermensch of our own networks. Right. Right? Like we are decentralized in the sense that we are all uh, the individual great men of history. Like that is really the model of the internet that Web three is trying to push. Yeah, well, it's
0: why all of the everything in Web three always has its own special little money, right? Because every single interaction you have with any other thing needs to be somehow monetized. Yeah, because
1: that's the point of money is that everyone has their own money because you don't want a money where everyone has the same money, which makes it easy to exchange things with each other. You want everyone to have their own esoteric money, which then has to be complexly exchanged for the type of money you need to buy the other thing that you're (laughs) buying. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, that's how an economy works. (laughs) (laughs) The old model of the economy is uh, nobody has money and everybody wants it. The new model of the economy is everybody has money and nobody wants it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> i do sort of miss the old school capitalists who you know like they were evil and everything but like they understood that shit had to work yes yeah. yeah. like the henry ford types they had a sense of you know like the production line. hilariously i saw someone on twitter yesterday trying to argue that like the the production line was a particularly evil capitalist invention because it prevented people from having the skills to make the entire thing and i'm like oh yeah because in the I soviet mean- union every worker went to the factory and built an entire car that was their day <laughs> <wedding to laughs> that is,
0: that is no, that i i that is sort of like an orthodox Marx Marxist view not that the Soviet Union is nef- necessarily doing it but rather that like the point of the production line is that the worker is no longer able to do anything except in the context of the production line, which he doesn't own.
5: Right. The division of labor is is done in such a way where it's dehumanizing and not like, if you wanted to, you could just build whatever part of the car. I mean, you know, it wouldn't be exactly efficient or productive, but if you wanted to, you could decide, you know, I really am interested in this part. I'll Montessori factory. Right. <laughs> so that, that, is, that yeah. is
0: sort of what we're talking about when we yeah. talk about the specific evil of the production line. It's because it... It sort of inst- instanced that particular
1: rupture of the worker from his labor. That's sort of what we're talking about. But the thing about it is, it also happens to be a very effective way of getting something done. So yeah. if you had some people in charge of it who weren't evil, uh-huh. that could be like a great way of everyone could share yeah. in the and benefits. this is what they call dialectics. dialectics. Yeah, <laughs> a very effective yes. thing. <laughs>
0: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, look, so back to Web 3. Um, so... What, the... if <laughs> like what if we
1: democratized the factory?
3: What if everyone yes, got a token. token? Yes, that's the point! Milo, you hit it! <laughs> what, if,
1: what if everyone in the factory got ape? <laughs> <laughs> alright, alright, real back, real back those a apes. little bit. You've gone a bit no, too no, far. No, 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 you've gone too far. <laughs> no, we're not at the no, apes yet. No, 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 I insist on the apes. We're gonna have our first schism. <laughs>
2: That's it. I'm Trotsky and I demand the apes. <laughs> First comes communism, then comes the apes, Milo. You've got it mixed up. <laughs> oh, I see. There,
0: There's actually a page of the original uh, 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 volume three of Capital uh, that talks about when the apes come in, it was just stuck to the other page. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's so, right. So, look, let's, let's go with this. I
1: shouldn't have come <laughs> on the Communist <laughs> Manifesto.
0: <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, so, the Web3 Foundation, which this is uh, Gavin Wood writing, who uh, was who helped develop Ethereum, Uh, he wrote... Personally, Gavin wouldn't. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) The key principles of Web3 is users owning their own data, not corporations. Global digital transactions are secure, which means trustless. And online exchanges of information and value are decentralized. So essentially, instead of Facebook sitting on a big bunch of data and then Its goal is to obscure the cost of the service it provides you by taking a thing that you don't really notice and then selling it to other people you don't know it. Selling it to, you, quote, own your own data. It's just you own it, for example, on a profusion of different blockchains that don't interoperate with one another and all have different currencies. It is Again, It's the Web3 story is a very tidy one if you're a doctrinaire Hayekian. And we know every time doctrinaire Hayekians have come together to try to make a society, we know what happens. Yeah, you, we, we sure do. You get a <laughs> Colonia Dignidad situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's the because the idea what what strikes me about this, right, is the the fantasy of this revolution of the Internet to be defined entirely by blockchains. That again, like might happen because a lot of very wealthy and powerful people have an interest in it happening and they can make things happen. Right. That future um, is one where things don't work very well because of this very, you might say, principled stand that the people in charge of building it are making in favor of hating institutions because they're institutions, because because this is centralized, it's therefore bad. I must be master of all I survey. And that's how you get to your house burning down and trying to negotiate with the firefighter if they'll put it
1: out. Yeah, yeah. How many apes will he accept to save your house? Put out my burning
0: house. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and you know, so it's how so the Web three supposedly architecturally is supposed to look something like this, right? It's these DAOs instead of corporations. It's uh, cryptocurrency instead of money. It's sort of blockchains that that generally put these things together because you can because the rules can just be coded directly in on the smart contracts on the blockchains themselves. You don't need someone like, for example. Approving my application to join Facebook because what happens? You apply to Facebook. They have some rules internally in Facebook. You fill in your form. The form is checked against those rules. Then Facebook gives you a profile and then starts spying on you, right? How a blockchain would work architecturally is the rules are coded into the blockchain. There's no, there's nothing central. There's no, you don't you don't give it to anyone else. You just put it on there and if it fits, it sticks. Essentially, Um, right? That's the that's the sort of basic premise of how you put information onto this thing and how it communicates. Um, whereas web 2.0, right, we talk about platforms highly permissioned walled committees where then they basically their whole profit is we center everyone together and then by putting them all together we can make a lot of money by data harvesting or ad targeting or whatever, right? And what I find sort of and again, in theory, right, And if you're going to if you're going to be a doctrinaire Hayekian and if you're going to be like one of these sovereign individual types, you could say yeah, perfect. If everyone has perfect information, right? because I know everyone else on this blockchain, I know how much it's going to cost for me to post to it, that everyone's going to make perfect decisions and all humans will be completely liberated. But I, again, yeah, you know, JT, we were talking about this. That's completely fucking insane.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is very interesting to see. And again, this is what we've talked about, where it's like the, the old sour wine of neoliberalism poured into new stupid bottles, right? Because it really is like, like they continue to try to make Hayek happen, right? Quit trying to make Hayek happen. Uh, and they continue to find, like try to find new technological systems to do so. Like, you know, we were talking about brain trust and reading the white paper. It is pretty striking how, you know, this is what makes me, think they are useful idiots uh not so much grifters but useful idiots doing the same thing but it is quite striking how that white paper is uh is is extremely hyper Hayekian in like the language it uses in terms of like price discovery right efficient price discovery and and so on and and it you know uh, like I think a lot of people who are aware of the thought of Friedrich Hayek and like you know his very famous essay "The Use of Knowledge in Society," right? The the kind of a, a neoliberal ideology that formed the basis of like Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan and and the the you know the the uh, Pinochet and Chicago Boys, like. But they don't. I don't think a lot of people know that Hayek himself later in life became extremely interested in cybernetics and like. Like um, uh, what we now know of as cognitive computing, uh, and he called the market the greatest information processor mankind has ever built. Right, like like he himself thought of the market as a big computer, uh, and and, uh, uh, and 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 you know it's very interesting to see that like this is in a lot of ways Hayek's dream. Finally, being brought to some form of fruition. It's not, you know, the Pinochet coup happens and they literally put a knife in the screen, in one of the screens of CyberSyn, saying, This is not what we believe in. But now, you know, fast forward 50 years later or whatever, uh, and the Web3 goons are like, No, this is what we believe in. We believe in the neoliberal CyberSyn, um, but it looks like DAOs, it looks like NFTs, it looks like crypto. Like, you know, and, and I you know, and and as you said, like we know what happens in history when a Hayekian policy or society tries to come to fruition. It's brutal. It's uh, authoritarian. It's nasty. It's all the Hobbesian adjectives. And I mean, it, it, there's nothing in history to show us that what's happening with Web three uh, will be anything other than that. <laughs> Um so Hussein what's uh I want to bring
0: you in on this as well. well
4: I was going to say RIP uh Frederick Hayek you would have loved the ape. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean like yeah, it's like, you know, um there's nothing I like disagree with like in terms of Jafan who like knows much more about this than like I would. But yeah, I mean one one thing I was going to say like before um was I mean even at like a basic level I sometimes like ask myself you know, for all the kind of like virtues of like web free that the evangelists love to, uh, uh, you know, to like to, to valorize, like they haven't really answered the basic question of like, why is any of this necessary? Um, you know, like I, I kind of get, I kind of get the premise of like, you know, sovereignty over your data and data ownership and stuff like that. But like, it doesn't sort, it to, to me, like it doesn't really make a lot of sense um, when like the way in which like data is conceived of, which is very much like in a very particular, like extremely commodified way, I think, you know, when you kind of tell someone, yeah, you can own your data, like an ordinary person, like the thing is, okay, well, what, 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 what do I, what, what do I do with it? Right. Cause the way that like web two is kind of built, like. You know, um, you know where like you have this sort of like platform economy and you have like all these services that require like you know umpteen amounts of like data you know like they require like so much of your data and they require like so many kind of passwords and stuff like you can definitely make arguments that like web 2 like isn't you know, is kind of like hypercapitalist and like, it's not particularly empowering and that like, you know, it is kind of something that like no one really enjoys like using, but they've kind of like, we're all sort of coerced into it. But Web3 like doesn't answer any of those problems. It just kind of is kind of like, okay, well, we know that like you kind of, are coerced into using the system. So what we're gonna do is like, it's gonna take like its worst excesses and force you to kind of engage with it on a much more personalized level. And we'll kind of give you like this kind of, you know, we'll we'll, we'll kind of give you this token of like perceived autonomy that as we've mentioned, you don't really have. Um, and in, and, and in exchange, you can kind of like give us more of your data very willingly. Right. And you can give us more of your information really willingly. And we can sort of use that in like much more, you know, we can use that for like a lot of other things and there's nothing you can do about it. Cause it operates on like different blockchains and different servers. Like every time I try to engage with this, is this like, why, what is the actual kind of case for this being an emancipatory technology?
1: Right. And no one, no one can really seem to answer that when you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? The blockchain guys want to solve everything with the blockchain. But then you get something like this, right? Where it's got like the job board. Like if you really wanted a not-for-profit job board, you could set up like a proper, like not-for-profit, which legally can't make a profit and constitutionally say, okay, this is how this company is run. It runs this job board. It reinvests X amount of the money it takes into this whatever. It pays this many staff, this much. Like you could just do that without decentralizing it and have like a not-for-profit job board. Like that's a thing you can have.
4: Right, and this is kind of like the thing But I mean, like I really should have said it more succinctly, but ultimately, like it comes down to just this idea that like the kind of user case for Web3 is being made by tech guys who have caused problems that they now want to solve in like their own very specific ways. And they see it as like not just a nail, but like a specific nail that requires like a specific hammer, which, you know, just often just tends to like benefit them.
2: Right. I think that's exactly right. And this has been a big problem plaguing us forever is tech guys deciding they're going to solve the problems they caused um, and getting a lot of oxygen, uh, you know, in in, in airtime with these claims. Like, I remember, you know, 10 years ago, Jaron Lanier wrote that book, Who Owns the Future, right? And for those who don't know, right, Jaron Lanier is a a pioneer of virtual reality um, and has been drawing a salary from Microsoft for the past like 30 years as some like senior research scientist, but also has made a nice little name for himself as one of the early kind of uh uh, you know, uh, like Tristan Harris style, te- you know, tech critics from within the tech sector, writing these, you know, pop, uh, you know, books about like, you are not a gadget and who owns the future. And the big thing, the big solution he posed in tw- in, in this uh, book from 10 years ago, was around data ownership. And it was about everybody will should own their own data. And then it's an, and then you create this network of microtransactions where you know facebook or you know facebook pays you fractions of a penny every time it uses your data uh you know google pays you fractions of a penny everything you know so you have this whole network of microtransactions which is then meant to be empowering right it's meant to be like well if data is a commodity then you should own it and you should be able to sell it and get some money from it but of course the problem here is that that's I mean technically very dumb, uh, but you know, uh, on, <laughs> but it, it does kind of preempt a lot of the Web three stuff. Like I think a lot of Web three guys would see that and be like, "Wow, yeah, that is what we
4: should be doing." Well, yeah, I was I was going to say that they are actually doing that. Like you know, so one of the things that one of their like little pet projects, which they really kind of love talking about at conferences, is kind of like the expansion of the uh, of the creator economy, right? And this idea that like you know, so for them like they diagnose the problem as being that oh platforms don't kind of like pay creators enough, but also like not a lot of, you know, we need more people who are like producing content for like said platforms. So the great thing about the creator economy is that it gives you all this like autonomy to create content by like, you know, so where, where not only can you commodify um your own data and like, you know, package it and sell it how you want to. um, But you also have like, you know, because everything about Web3 is like about transactions, and every relationship on the internet in Web3 will be a transactional one, right? Um, Something that we know like definitely doesn't have any problem, like social problems, um, you know, or any, or like, or have any political consequences.
2: Uh, real quick, I think one of the big problems with Jaron Lanier's critique is, you know, not only the technological kind of dumbness of it, okay, we just wait long enough and the technology comes around, but it's fundamentally that it misunderstands the political economy of technology by offering a solution to that political economy based on neoliberal economization, right? It's this idea that it's it's an anti-politics, right? It's that there's no politics, there's no society, there's no Ethics, all the solutions are always found in economization or the integration of economic rationalities into every single part of life. So if there's a problem about power, over data use and ownership, well, that problem can be solved by doing uh, an economic system of microtransactions, right? Hyper commodification will solve that problem. And it's fundamentally not the solution, right? It really is quite literally saying the house is on fire. I know what will put it out. More fire, right?
5: Uh, Yeah, the infusion of property rights also like as the avenue by which we'll like rationalize and economize new goods and services and intangible assets is also really It's like every single time, every single time there's an enclosure, every single time there's new goods, new services that are previously public or previously unquantified, um, there's this attempt to try and enclosure enclose them and, and rationalize them or subject them to market logic under the argument that like, OK, once they do that, it'll be much easier for us to deal with them and to and to organize them and to be more productive with them and to input them into larger and larger and larger technological processes or whatever else we want to do for a complex civilization. But every single fucking time. Almost what happens is you do it, you consume or you exhaust a lot of the most productive from the market sense and valuable parts of it. Right. And then you plug it into processes that aren't actually novelly innovative, not novelly productive in new ways. They're really just reinforcing or making cheaper pre-existing uh, relationships and norms. Right. Like the the, the same effort, old apes. Yeah. The same, yeah, <laughs> Like apes. Right. Like what the efforts to do um, to do uh, nature. Right. To quantify. And commodifying nature in the name of conservation, right? What's going to end up happening is going to is that they will end up also deciding, as they've already have in some of the proposals, that there's a certain amount of biodiversity that can be lost. And then we can create a really robust system that finds people and punishes them for going beyond that range. Okay. Well, isn't the fucking point to preserve as much biodiversity as possible and <laughs> not like say we're going to consign some of it? Uh, to the you know to the to the furnaces and and similarly with like the digital as long as we world keep the apes right as long as we keep the apes. And with the digital world it's like okay we're gonna sacrifice a lot of the things that people value and generally like because they get in the way of like profit um, or realization of currently illegal or immoral or otherwise uh, taboo profits, right? Uh, That's really what I see most of these, these web three gig economy, all of these like frontier innovative bullshit digital concepts are really just like, uh, for some reason, you guys don't want us to make more money. So like we're going to just do, we're going to wage like a long war, war maneuver to like fucking brainwash you into believing that it's okay to do that and, and then do it. And I think crucially,
0: right, it's just like when we talk about other things, right? It's important not to like, almost preemptively have nostalgia for the Web2 platforms, right? right? Because that there is mass... We've seen what kind of sort of... And we talked about much on here. In fact, mass exploitation of, 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 not just, of not just data, but also huge exploitation of labor, especially in the global south, and so on and so on, in order to maintain this central control over data in a way that people want to keep engaging with. And also, again, to com- kind of compel people to part with their data via a privacy policy rather than compel them to, com- par- to part with it on the basis of a microtransaction, right? You might it's be not- enjoying
1: your video on Ebaum's world, but there is blood <laughs> on your hands, it's So
0: It's not that... It's not that the old system is better. It's that the people fighting for, to replace it with the new system coming in with the new paradigm, it's not a new paradigm of relating to you. It's a new paradigm of doing the same kind of things to you, but with tools
2: that they prefer. Yeah and and even thinking of it as paradigms and the way that the marketing terms around web 2.0 or web 3 is fundamentally wrong it's as you know it's more of an infrastructural layering uh that's what it it's not a paradigmatic uh rupture or rapture at all and 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 if there's one takeaway message from this episode it should be uh down with the revisionist dogs who don't do historical materialism of the internet right who who, who who you know backtrack it into these like phase progressions or these different distinct stages of the internet. That is wrong. It's ahistorical and it's a materialist. And it's also so recent in the past that we can that how could we have this level of like broad generalized amnesia already about things that like are that only just came into fruition not that long ago like uh on on uh on the this machine kills patreon we just wrapped up a a book club series that we did on this book by Wendy hk chun who's a A very well known um, uh, cultural theorist uh, of uh, kind of cyber cultures and the internet, and does a lot of really great work on on that topic. And she wrote this book in 2005 called Control and Freedom Power and Paranoia in the Age of Fiber Optics. And, uh, like, without realizing it, as we were going through this book, discussing it chapter by chapter, which, you know, this book is really about the first like 10 years of the post privatization internet and cyber and the origins of cyber culture, uh, and the kind of like frontier mindset, and and all of that kind of stuff, and uh, all of the things that she was talking about from the '90s and the early 2000s, all of the critiques and analysis that she was outlining, so much of it fits one to one to everything that was currently happening as we were reading and discussing this book with Web three. It really just like uh, highlighted how much uh, we have. One, forgotten about what the internet and all of this kind of stuff was like even 10 years ago. Um, And two, like how much of it is all still the same stuff, still subjected to the same analysis and same critiques because, uh, you know, it's not so much a paradigmatic disruption, but like this mass, you know, men in black neuralizer that tries to get you to forget what had happened so that they can do it all over again.
1: Yeah, people are trying to forget Kony 2012, but I'm fucking Clockwork Orange, holding their <laughs> eyelids open, making them remember. So, just before we, uh, could you give an, uh, just a, an example of, of, of how
0: of what you mean here? How this is because we I think we've talked about sort of how the way this is much of the same, right? The same companies that financed the first wave of startups now they're financing this wave of of you know DAOs or whatever, right? But is there is there is is this true? Just it's the same people who are aiming at the same goals, just using a different shaped tool? Or is it even less distinctive than that?
5: I mean, I, go, you, you're going to jump in, Ed? Oh, no, I would just, you know, say I think it's interesting that um, in a lot of the speculative bubbles and even when they burst, the people who made a lot of money in one carry it forward or make it again in another, right? Because you still retain the connections and that's really all you need um if you want to make a lot of money in these in these fields and and so what you end up seeing is like you know a firm like A16Z um or Andreessen uh, Horowitz is going to make money both off of uh the web 3.0 and also the traditional web 2.0 platforms right uh, because a lot of the times what distinguishes a web 2.0 and a web 3.0 platform is um the statement that the company gives as to why they're investing in this firm uh as opposed to another right like uber is a web you know 2.0 firm a uh, Maybe in that taxonomy, right, but if you were to create an Uber that, for some reason, was exclusively operating on the blockchain or said it was, even if it wasn't right It was taking crypto payments if it was a way to figure if you could figure out some weird novel application of it that wasn't particularly useful but shiny, that would be a web 3.0 application, even though the difference really is just like u i payment system. Uh, and who it's explicitly targeting, right? It's not like a true fundamental difference in those instances when it's the same funder involved. But there are, but you know, there are also there's also a general difference in that, like, yeah, this is in one way or another, it's supposed to be a different type of uh, firm startup um, that is either more explicitly based in crypto, or more explicitly based in decentralization, whatever that may look like, and other firms have room to like, you know, butt in their heads there. But I would think like a lot of the funders and investors are similar to like Web 2.0 because they have the money, you know. Yeah,
2: it's the same people, and and I'll just jump really quickly jump into saying it's not only many of the same people and financial interests, it's many of the same uh, like political ideologies and and propagandas, right? Around like like you know, the first chapter of Wendy Chun's book is called "Why Cyberspace," and it's looking at this like you know frontier, uh, you know, electronic frontier, cyberspace mentality of the internet as uh you know the next stage for or uh capitalist imperialism to colonize right and and that mentality still exists and we still see that same kind of propaganda and that same kind of political ideology rolled out with web 3 you know they talk about frontierism right i mean this is also Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and and the space race right space is the final frontier like you know it, it like many, you know, Rosa Luxemburg talked about and you know, imperialism Lenin talked about imperialism. As a core part of capitalism, uh, you know, as a core part of the acceleration and overaccumulation of capitalism is a constant search for new frontiers to colonize, to extract, to exploit, to dump uh, the overproduced commodities into those places, right? Right. And, and this is very much the same kind of uh, political economic dynamics that we see happening with you know new technologies, new frontiers, but at the core, it's still the same old stuff uh, for hundreds of years. And I, I think this is the big thing that's at the core of my like capital my political economic analysis of technology is that uh it, not nothing you know there are new things but nothing is new in the sense of like we've never seen this before right like like i think that we really do we can learn a lot by uh, applying just pretty you know a fundamental critique of political economy to the world around us, and continue to rediscover the same analysis. It's just new new technologies hiding uh, old dynamics.
0: Well, that's There is there's nothing new under the sun, but what if we checked a different sun or what if we invented a sun on the <laughs> blockchain for there to be stuff on... Man, I have so much more to talk about with what you guys. What if on the
1: blockchain you could buy a picture of a sun that was smoking weed and doing the pussy eating <laughs> gesture? Yeah, I,
0: I, I, yeah. As, oh, as ever, can. every time we talk, I end up with like 30 more things <laughs> I want to get into. Uh, such as like the history of Web 2.0 and Tim O'Reilly mm. and like the technological theory of
1: bubbles, but Coney 2012. Well, yeah, yeah sure. absolutely. Uh,
0: you Apes. know, the, one, but once again, uh, we have we have come to our, our limit of time. But um, Ed and Jason, <laughs> the bell, I, is off. bell is going on. Bell is going as ever. It is always a massive pleasure to talk to you guys. Uh, and thank you very much for coming on.
2: Thanks for
5: having us. Yeah, always thanks fun for to having us.
2: All, always, always yep. fun. And this is also why uh, our episodes on This Machine Kills range from an hour and a half to two hours long. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because because yeah. we do not have the time discipline of Riley to be like, oh, okay, there's time. Let's end the conversation. Because <laughs> yep. uh, you don't have the bell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you guys gotta got, got to get a bell. We need we a bell yeah. 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 system. Yeah. We gotta go to the next
0: podcast. You should collect. Uh, you could connect your two bells on the basis of a blockchain, right. so that it's immutable. You have an immutable record of when the bell rang. <laughs> yeah. and that's important. Actually, it's,
5: it's not just blockchain. It's quantum now. We could do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Um, I,
0: I cannot recommend this machine kills enough. Uh, if you are listening to this, you should check it out. Uh, and additionally, I want to thank you for listening to the free episodes. Consider listening to the paid ones. It's five bucks a month. Uh, you get a second episode every week. And a
1: free ape. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yo, we can't afford that. We're talking <laughs> oh, <no>, shit. <laughs> it's a live ape. You get a real <laughs> yo, We can afford that. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but. Thank you for all.
0: Thank you once again, Ed and Jathan, for coming on. Check out TMK. Mm. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in a few days. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.